Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of La Liga Lowdown, our match day 17 recap episode. I'm your host, Hugh McTeer, and we're proud to be rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. This is our first match day recap of 2021 and it started with a bang in La Liga. There's so much to talk about. There's the victories for Real Madrid, for Atletico Madrid and for Barcelona. There's the coaching change at Athletic Club. There's Paco Pollock coming up on why things didn't work out for Kubo at Villarreal. There's a lot and that's all coming up but we're going to start off with the first Seville derby of the season. They finished 1-1 with Suso putting Sevilla ahead and Sergio Canales equalising for Real Betis from the spot. That doesn't tell the whole story though because Betis won another penalty and Nabil Fakir took this one and missed it. And the day before the game, Betis had several positive coronavirus cases. To discuss all the drama of this grand derby is David Whitworth of Radio Betis. Let's start, David, with the eve of this derby. What were your thoughts as a Betis fan after all the COVID absentees announced on Friday night? That made it nine absences in total. Well, I think any Real Betis supporter would have been fearing the worst coming into El Grand Derby. Certainly with the absences of key players such as Joaquin, Andres Guardado and Martin Montoya to add to the list of Alex Moreno and the other injuries and suspensions that the team have got but that's what the squad's all about and through difficulties come moments of opportunities and certainly Betis took them with the likes of Lineth coming in playing his best game for Real Betis. Do you think they deserve to win it? I think in terms of the effort, commitment and assuredness that Betis showed throughout the game from start to finish. I believe that Real Betis deserved to to pick up the three points. The most important thing for Betis supporters before the game was to to face the music. And certainly the team gave the, the fans a decent tune there because from start to finish, Betis were the more organised, looked the more threatening, looked like they had a bit more about them. And a lot more assured. Sevilla were lacking in creativity, lacking in vibrancy, and made some uncharacteristic def- uh, defences mistakes, defensive mistakes, throughout the match. And certainly Betty showed much more assuredness on the ball, on the ball, off the ball, and certainly the the tactical system of Manuel Pellegrini came out on top. 
Betisbold level with the penalty from Canales, but let's talk about the second penalty. Why did Nabil Fakir take it and not Canales again? In terms of the penalty for Nabil Fakir, I think it's one of them that you see in matches when players go down who have been given the, the penalty and they obviously want to take the penalty as the reward for gaining the penalty. In my opinion, it was the wrong decision because Canales had just taken a penalty minutes earlier, much more confident, best player on the on the pitch. He scored penalties in recent games and he was definitely the one that should have taken that penalty. I understand from Fakir's point of view, he's not scored this season, wants to be the match winner, had a decent game, but it was the wrong decision. Canales, Sergio Canales should have definitely taken that penalty kick. As for Sevilla, they didn't look their usual selves, did they? It was a very, very jumbled performance from them. Very un uncharacteristic of Sevilla. None of the quality or the passion that we associate with their performances. Very much from the off. A lot of loose balls. Lack of tension in the team. Lack of coexistence, uh, cohesion in the team. And too many of their players were off form. For instance, Luke de Jong only played until half-time. He's normally been one of the star men in El Grand Derby in recent times. But he was hooked off at half-time. Suso was another player that huffed and puffed. He scored a great goal just in the early parts of the second half. Ocampos was another one that rarely featured. And overall, it was a very, very off performance for, for a team in such a high-caliber match. Lastly, just how weird was it to see a derby in an empty Benito Villamarín? Well, derby day is all about flamboyance, colour, passion, and most importantly, supporters. And it dearly showed it's the most important ingredient of football for the early exchanges. It was pretty much played at a training ground rhythm, the, the match. And... Certainly, the most important element was missing of the supporters. It was very, very strange to see no one at the games, even though, unfortunately, we've got used to this situation since last March. And here's hoping that in 2021, we can dearly make an important discovery and to return fans to where they belong, which is supporting their teams and watching their teams Yes, couldn't agree more with that, David. Well, thank you for joining us to break down El Grand Derby. That was one of the weekend's big games, but it was only one of the many top fixtures. Rui Barlow is going to talk us through another one now in our Sore Throat Game of the Week segment as he recaps the drama of Real Madrid's 2-0 win over Celta Vigo. Over to you, Rui. If El Gran Derby was the headline act this weekend, Celta Vigo's trip to Valdebebas, where they face Real Madrid, could lay a just claim to be the most intriguing tie of the weekend. Arguably, the two formed teams in La Liga, both the reigning champions and Celta Vigo, had won six of their last seven and drawn the other. It would take just six minutes for the match to explode into life when Nolito clipped the ball in behind the Real Madrid defence for Iago Aspas to run onto. Nolito Aspas, ojo Aspas, la primera de Aspas, saca Nacho bajo para, no. qué maravilla la conexión Nolito, 
se la puso al pie del marque perfecto del príncipe de la Matea, que diría, espera que viene el Madrid, que viene la pelota para Marco Asensio, Marco Asensio por banda izquierda, se lo ofrece Karim Benzoma la corta, viene Marco Asensio, la pone, balón al segundo palo, remata Luca el gol. Pass passes Dink, beat Courtois, but it was cleared by Nacho. Cadena serves Antonio Romero, barely a time to catch his breath before Asensio was coming down the left-hand side, crossing over Benzema to the far post and Lucas Vasquez. Celta responded well to the goal, both teams having good spells in an absorbing first half. Just five minutes into the second, however, Celta's fans were met with the most chilling sight. The whole Celta bench on their feet. Aspas was forced off with an injury after a natural challenge. That blow would be compounded just three minutes later when Casemiro set Lucas Vasquez free. Manolo Lama of Copy pointing out that Vasquez turned provider for Asensio this time, sliding the ball left for Asensio to finish over Ruben Blanco for his first goal of the season. Delta did what they could, but lacked the options off the bench to replace the injured Aspas and Nolito. Only Baeza came close in the closing stages. Gallet won't be overly worried by the performance, even if they did fail to react emotionally to two setbacks. Nacho was the one who blocked Baeza's effort. Real Madrid dealt with everything that Celta threw against them in a really classy performance without Sergio Ramos. What looked like a really tough game on paper was expertly planned by Zidane. His faith in Lucas Vasquez and Marco Asensio vindicated. Once again, chapeaus in Nadine Zidane. Thanks for that, Ruri. So, we've covered a couple of the weekend's big games, but we have so much more coming up in part two of this episode. Just after this short break, we'll be discussing the very sudden and quite surprising coaching change that took place at Athletic Club. So stay tuned for that. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. 
Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We're going to start part two by talking about one of the weirder coaching changes of recent times. On Sunday, Athletic Club won 1-0 at home to Elche thanks to an Iker Munyain goal. But then there was a shock from Bilbao as they sacked Gaisca Garitano and just hours later hired former Valencia boss Marcelino. Obviously they had Marcelino lined up since before Sunday's match and there had been talk about firing Garitano for some time but... The timing of this still seemed weird to me. To get the lowdown on what people in Bobal are thinking, let's bring in Basque journalist Benyat Gutierrez now. And I'll give you the floor first off, Benyat. What were your first thoughts when you heard about Gary Tano's sacking just a couple of hours after this game that they won? I need to start quoting the legendary anchorman Ron Burgundy because, boy, that escalated quickly. Just after learning that Gary Tano was being replaced as athletic coach, I rewatched Gaiska's press conference, trying to find any sign to determine if he knew what was happening. No questions were asked about whether he was concerned about his job, and there was just a little hint when the now former coach said he always wanted Athletic to win, no matter if he was there or not, and he won't be here anymore. You've told us before on the podcast that Gary Tanner was on the hot seat, so was this really such a surprise when we think about it? I don't think this is unexpected, but the moment is. Atleti was on a non-virtuous cycle, alternating an exciting draws, appalling losses, and every time there was an ultimatum on Garitano, a victory, and so on. After a very poor performance against La Real in the Basque Derby, Atleti was fine against Elche, probably deserving more goals. It was one of the best games of the season for Garitano's side, even if the score was short. Garitano will always be remembered for saving Athletic on a very complicated moment. He did a great job with a squad that seemed dead under Berizzo, but then everything turned sour. He was never fully accepted by Athletic supporters. His coaching style was considered unexciting and unambitious for a lot of fans. And last year, for example, it was a rough season. It wasn't a great one, but it's true that the team was able to reach a Copa final that unfortunately for Garitano, he won't be able to fight for the title because the final was postponed due to COVID. And now it will be a new coach the one in charge of leading Athletic in the attempt to win a new Copa del Rey. 
Yeah, and that coach will be Marcelino. We'll talk about him in just a moment. But first of all, I want to ask you about the boardroom drama in Bilbao and what impact, if any, this had on the decision to move on from Gary Tano right now. We would be missing some pieces of the puzzle if we were just focused on what happened on the pitch. Athletic supporters are nowadays incredibly polarized. Aitora Lisegui won the election two years ago by a very narrow margin that made controversial each of the decisions of the board. And last week, President Alisegui saw how the members of the assembly rejected his budget for the year. That put so much pressure on the board and probably made Garitano an easy pawn to sacrifice in order to regain the confidence of the supporters and in his attempt to get the budget approved by the extraordinary assembly. Interesting, very house of cardsy stuff in Bobao then. So Marcelino is a coach coming in. I know it's very early, but what's the mood on his arrival among Athletic supporters? It's an interesting choice. It's a very competitive coach, but he was never particularly liked in Bilbao. That's the surprising part. Not even that he is accepted by the supporters, but that parts of them have been requesting him for weeks or even months. That perception about Marcelino has changed in the last months. Maybe it's all about his figures against La Real. 16 games without ever being defeated. And obviously, that's music to the ears of athletic supporters that are already thinking about that Copa del Rey. Though it won't be an easy start for him, Athletic will face in the next matches Barcelona, Atletico and then Real Madrid in the Supercopa. A very tough start. Thanks, Peñat. Yeah, I Tough start for sure. We'll be covering, of course, those matches on Twitter. You can follow us there at La Liga Lowdown. Moving on, we'll stay briefly in the Basque Country because all of the first four games on Sunday took place there. After the win in Bilbao, Alaves hosted Atletico Madrid and there was very late drama in this one. Marcos Llorente opened the scoring against his former club before a Felipe Ongo looked to have cost Atleti two points. But Luis Suarez came up with a last-minute goal to make it a 2-1 win and to keep Atletico Madrid top of the standings. Then came two matches at the same time in the Gipuzkoa part of the Basque Country as Eibar hosted Granada and as Real Sofidad hosted Osasuna. In the first of those games, Eibar earned her first home win of the season with a 2-0 victory over Granada and of course they won this fixture. They always do. They'd beaten Granada in each of their previous six meetings with an overall score of 19 goals to 4. And they won again with Brian Heal getting both of the goals at the same time as Kiki Garcia delivered a strong battling performance. Real Sofidad, meanwhile, fell behind a Jonathan Cayeri goal against Osasuna, but Ander Baranechea was able to ensure they got a 1-1 draw and a point. Let's talk some Barcelona now with our Barca man Roman de Arquer. They earned a 1-0 win away at Huesca through a Frankie de Jong goal and it was a deserved win. But they couldn't quite kill the game off, could they, Roman? As Marcus Headline put it, no eye on Dia Tranquilo. There is never a calm day where Barcelona is involved. It's a bit unfortunate that Barca 
are generating good opportunities, but they're just not getting the goals, you know, and it's not just happening in this game. Uh, we've seen it in previous games where uh, there's good ideas in attack, uh, they're getting creative and they're getting to goal, but their shots are either not going on target or not going directly past the goalkeeper, let's say. And I get the feeling that this is because there's a lack of, of a number nine, you know, there's a lack of that killer instinct that we did have, for example, with Luis Suarez last season. I'm not saying uh, he should have stayed, but Barca does need a top a number nine, I think, in attack to, to help um, finish all this work they're doing uh, in offensive positions, of course. And, I mean, credit to Barcelona because Huesca isn't easy at home, uh, we saw against Atletico Madrid where, you know, they were really closed down in defense and uh, Atletico in the end just managed a nil-nil draw uh, at El Alcoraz. And I think that Barcelona in this sense were capable of of um, breaking down the defense, finding the spaces, finding those passing lanes and generating good opportunities. And that's something that Barca were struggling a lot with last season with Kike Setien and Valverde when it came to playing uh, tightly knit defenses. Barca just couldn't. Uh, access uh, the area couldn't find uh, the way of creating good opportunities and that's something that is happening with Kuman. so that's a step forward but as I said before we need that instinct to end uh, those opportunities and to get those goals to, to close games early on and not have to uh, struggle or suffer right till the end It was an unusual goal scorer because it was De Jong who got the winner the only goal of the game apart from that goal though he's overall been improved in recent weeks, what have you thought about his start to the season overall? It took him a while because at the start of the season, I don't think he was having very impactful performances. But now, finally, in the last month or the last few weeks, he's began to, to show his better version. And we saw it in that first game uh, when Kuman played that back line of three. I think the young had a lot more freedom and he felt so much more comfortable relieved from so many defensive uh, duties and in this game I think he also found that comfort despite playing with a back line of four uh, he went forward a lot he even got that goal and I think that uh, Kuman is finally understanding what uh, the young needs you know and he's given him more freedom especially to go forward in attack because sometimes the young you know likes to get the ball likes to try and dribble a few players and, and, and open up those um, spaces for the fullbacks, for the uh, attacking players. So I think um, De Jong has a lot of quality and we're finally starting to see his best version. Although I'd say he still has room for improvement. He's a fantastic player and I think that sooner or later we should be enjoying his best version as when he was playing back in Ajax. Again, there was no Griezmann in the team for this one. There was a return to the 4-2-3-1 formation. There were three centre-backs on the pitch to finish the game. It's all a little confusing, at least to me. Do you think Coleman knows his gala 11 yet? Like, if they were to play PSG in the Champions League tomorrow, would you know what 11 he would go for? As you mentioned, in the game there was a change right uh, towards the end where uh, Mingueza came in for Serginho Dest. But he didn't uh, play a back line of three. He maintained that back line of four. And Mingueza just played as a fullback. And I think the idea was just to get a player on the field that could defend better, basically, because uh, Huesca were starting to push uh, towards the end and they knew that they had still time to get a goal. So I think it was just defensive-minded change. But as you said, I don't really think it's clear which is Barca's uh, starting eleven. you know. 
Apart from a few players I think we could point out which um, are just uh, basic for Kuma at the moment, such as Ter Stegen, Messi of course, I'd say Jordi Alba, I'd say also Pedri, who's uh, definitely gained his trust and been the best player or one of the best players in the last games. And also possibly Ronald Araujo seems to be uh, gaining Kuman's trust. But apart from that, I don't really think we could pick a clear starting eleven, And I don't think we could pick um, a clear formation either. His 4-2-3-1, he loves very much. But at times it isn't the solution. So that's why he's been trying out... Uh, that back line of three. And we might still see more changes because Barcelona is still evolving, still improving. And if there are any signings come in the winter transfer market, which is a possibility, things could change again. So it's complicated right now to actually state uh, a proper or a, a reliable starting eleven. Okay, thanks, Roman. Before we move on from Barca, here's Marc-Andre Ter Stegen speaking in a post-match interview about how De Jong doesn't score very often, and he did so knowing that the Dutchman was within earshot. <laughs> Amazing. I'm super happy for him. Uh, it's not that often that he scores. <clears throat> and, <laughs> and, uh, and well, I, I hope that, that he is continuing like this. Uh, and, and for me, obviously, uh, for, the, for the whole team, it's nice to, to have a clean sheet for the start. Or for the restart, and uh, and well, um, I'm really happy for for us as a team. Ter Stegen with the jokes there. Then Huesca coach Michel Minuel gave a much more sobering interview, admitting that he fears for his job. He surely won't get sacked because of the loss to Barcelona, but with just one win so far, they need another three-point haul soon. Now we've got just a couple of games left to discuss, and one of them was another derby, a regional rivalry match from the Valencian community between Villarreal and Levante. That started off this match day and started off 2021 in La Liga and it was Fernando Nino getting the first goal of the calendar year. He did that for the home side. Gerard Moreno got in on the scoring action too before Sergio Leon pulled one back for Levante but it wasn't enough. It finished as a 2-1 win for Villarreal and after losing to Sevilla and seeing their undefeated run ended, this was the perfect bounce back win for them. We've got Paco Pollock to speak about this game now. And Paco, I want to start with Fernando Nino. He got the first goal. He's already moved ahead of Carlos Baca in the pecking order there. How impressive has he been? He has been impressive enough to persuade Emery to start him and grant him chances to play instead of players with much bigger name as for example Take Kubo. When Alcácer and Baca were injured at the beginning of December, Emery took a gamble with the 20-year-old and the risk has paid off. Ferniño scored his first official goal in La Ceramica and it sure was special for a home-ground kid who has played for the under-19 and the B team before making his first team debut. Remember that the striker is the son of Fernando Niño, a very tough centre-back who played back in the day for Cádiz, Mallorca or Elche and who I actually remember playing on top of the pitch. So that means I'm officially very, very old. Well, I guess it is official then. Now, Nino didn't come out for the second half and Juan Foyth did. He's been playing in central midfield in recent weeks for Villarreal. How's that experiment going? 
Well, remember that such experiment is taking place because of Vicente Borra's long-term injury and Coquelin's physical problems which have been pestering him since the month of August. Dani Parejo keeps humming along, but Iborra's absence will be crucial, so that's why Villarreal moved very quickly and signed earlier this week midfielder Etienne Capu from Watford with a two-and-a-half-year contract. Foyth came in after the break and he did well enough, even though the game spun out of control for Villarreal in the last 15 minutes and Levante were actually very close to leveling the game. After Villarreal's latest signing, however, I expect Juan Foyth to once again play at the back and leave Capu and Parejo as the starting midfielders alongside Moy Gomez and Manu Trigueros. Levante's experiment of using a back three, it didn't work so well, did it? It didn't, and it didn't sit well with Levante fans as they expected more or less the same lineup we saw against Real Betis a few days ago, with Morales and Jorge de Frutos as the wingers and a strong midfield. Instead, coach Paco Lopez tried to switch his tactics a bit and the end result wasn't too promising. Actually, after Rochina had to leave the pitch injured in the 29th minute, in came Michael Malsa to enhance the midfield and the team actually improved. And it improved even further after Villarreal's second goal with all the firepower in the pitch, with the Frutos, with Morales. So yeah, fans have reasons to be angry because everyone had the feeling after the game that Levante could have done much more to at least pick up a point. For this game, Takafusa Kubo wasn't even on the Villarreal squad list. We've already seen the last of him in the yellow shirt, haven't we? Yep, Unai Emery confirmed he's leaving and that's why he was absent from the Matzei squad against Levante. The news we have at this point in La Liga Lodan is that Kubo is bound to leave Villarreal in the January transfer market and possibly join another side on loan team the next summer. Everything points towards Getafe, as Real Madrid and their president Ángel Torres have already an agreement in place and are finishing the details of the six-month loan. It should be official soon, if it isn't already when you're listening to this podcast. Why do you think it is that it didn't work out for Kubo at Villarreal? You see, there wasn't much of a good vibe between Emery and Kubo from the get-go. The player believes he didn't have enough chances to shine and, on the other hand, the coach thinks other youngsters such as Chuguete or even Fernino, who we just talked about, deserve more opportunities than him. Takekubo's final stats for Villarreal aren't really that great. Less than 300 minutes played in La Liga spread out between 13 games, no goals, no assists. His numbers in the Europa League were a bit better, starting five games, scoring once and delivering three assists. We'll see if the Japanese forward fares better under Jose Bordalas in the Coliseum Alfonso Pérez. Okay, thanks Paco. The final game we've got to talk about is one involving Kubo's likely new team, Etafe. They lost 1-0 to Real Valladolid with their record signing, Sean Weissman getting the goal. It's just been really poor from Etafe of late, and they've got just one La Liga win in their past 11. They're really struggling, and yeah, they could certainly use a difference maker like Kubo. Let's see if that does happen and how that goes. For now, that's all from our Match Day 17 recap. We've got Valencia versus Cadiz on Monday night still to come, but for now, my thanks for dissecting the weekend's action go to David Whitworth, Ruri Barlow, Benyat Gutierrez, Roman de Arquer, and Paco Pollitt. I've been your host, Hugh McTeer, and we'll be back at the same time next week. Have a good week in the meantime, and thanks for listening.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.